God bless you, Dr. Maria here. Enjoying the sermon by Deaconess Muriel entitled Journey of Faith in Action. Good evening, Pastor, and to all those who are joining us this evening. I give honor to God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I give honor to our covering, Bishop Jacqueline E. McCullough, our very own pastor, Reverend Dr. Maria A. Seaman, Head Elder Ken Seaman, Elders, Deacons, Deaconess, Senior Leadership, and to you, the people of God. God has given me another opportunity to bring forth his word, and I consider it a most holy privilege and awesome opportunity to come before you again. The Lord being my helper, my guide, and my strength, I ask for your continued prayers, and I have sought the Lord and inquired on what he would have me to say to you all this evening. My sermon topic this evening is Journey of Faith in Action. And you all have heard the scripture. It's been read by our deaconess, Karen Lighthorn. And I'm going to cover most of it. So I'm going to start with the introduction. The writer of this text is sharing with us a very important question. We must have faith in Jesus himself. True faith is belief in Jesus. Christ and his words. Jesus is not merely a miracle worker. He is the son of God. John says in the New King Version, version John 20, verse 31, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Not a miracle worker, but actually the son of God. Miracles are temporary, but eternal life in Jesus Christ is forever. Of course, this is not to say that signs and miracles cannot be used of God to create and strengthen faith. Our creator used signs for that purpose, as today's passage will reveal. In Galilee, Jesus met a royal official, probably an advisor to the local ruler, Herod Antipas who begged our savior to heal his dying son. Jesus in his initial response seemed to be rebuking the man for requiring signs in order to believe, which is in line with his later pronouncement of blessings upon those who have not seen him in the flesh and yet believe. But the problem is not desiring to see the Lord to do a supernatural work. For God tells us to ask him for healing. The problem is when we seek signs or when miracles are the sole foundation of our faith and not the promise of God, this was not the case for the royal official in today's passage. He took Jesus at his word that he would heal his son before he was actually healed. The miracle then confirmed faith that was already present. The Galileans welcomed Jesus because they saw with their own eyes what he had done as they themselves were at the feast and had been a witness. Now, I wonder, had they not been there and only heard, would they believe? Do you think they would have believed? It is like us as human beings. We need to get all the details. We need to get the 411, as they call it, before believing. We have to know everything. 
but God wants us to trust him. John 4:48 clearly tells us that unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Follow me as we visit the following three points. Point number one, the persistence of the man. Point number two, the promise of the man. Point number three, the personal faith of the man. Point number one, the persistence of the man. John 4, 46 says, so Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Here we have a man of high standards. He is wealthy, he has servants, he has power and position. But as we all know, such privilege does not spare us or our children from disease and disaster. Take note that the mother is not mentioned in the story, but we can assume that she shared her husband's concern. When this wealthy official discerns that this little boy is failing fast, he exhausts every possible option to make his son well. The nobleman's son was far away, but God is not limited by human constraints. I believe that we can assume that every doctor and Every cure had been tried in the region of Galilee, and perhaps even doctors from other countries had been shipped in to treat the official's son, but to no avail. The royal official is at his wit's end. He is desperate. He is thinking that he has used all of his options. He is scared and confused. Like any father, he will do whatever it takes to save his son. He will move heaven and earth to see him healed. People, we do need the Lord, regardless of power and position. Nothing seems more unnatural than the death of a child. It is a terrible feeling that we could hardly think of, much, much less speak of it in public. Having to bury one of our own children is a tragedy. We still pray we will never have to endure, but it does happen. But then one day, praise God, one day, but God, if it had not been for God who comes to our rescue, where would we be today? The desperate father hears about this man named Jesus from the village called Nazareth, not so far from Capernaum. He heard stories of how this man had healed people, how he turned water into wine at a wedding in Cana, and how he recently performed signs and wonders while in Jerusalem. All over town, people are whispering about this man, Jesus. So when word came that Jesus had returned to the region of Galilee, to the city of Canaan, the man mounts his horse and immediately heads out to see if he can find this miracle worker. Now notice that the wealthy official does not send one of his servants, he goes himself. He ups and departs with no notice whatsoever. He didn't care about his job or how long it would take to find Jesus. He was seeking and searching for the Messiah. He was on a mission to find the great physician, the great I am, the only one who would be able to save his son. Shekinah and those who are listening in, I challenge you this evening, how desperate are you to be with Jesus? 
Are you like the nobleman who will do whatever it takes? The whatever it takes attitude should dominate our decision-making as Christians. If we are talking about the future of our church, our personal walk with Christ, giving, witnessing, building our Bible study, ministry, worship, reaching people or disciplined people, or our response should be whatever it takes to accomplish this, then we will do it. A whatever it takes attitude is determined by our level of desperation in life. Let me ask you a steering question this evening. How desperate are you? How desperate are you spiritually? How desperate are you to walk with God? How desperate are you to know his will for your life? How desperate are you to see your family members come to Christ? How desperate? How desperate? How desperate are you to see your friends? How desperate are you for our nation? How desperate are you for God? And we can go on and on and on with our how desperate are we? Jesus is his last and only hope for saving his son. When the official arrives in town, it doesn't take long to find Jesus. Verse 47, the Greek verb for ask, is parakalo, indicating that the official was repeatedly asking, perhaps shouting, begging for Jesus to heal his son. We can hear him crying over and over again, sir, please come to my home. Please come with me to Capernaum and heal my son. He is at death's door. Please, sir, there's no time to waste. Please come down to Capernaum. This reminds us the promises of God found in 1 John 5.14. This, the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Matthew 7, verse 7 to 8, ask, and it shall be given unto you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Verse 8 says, for everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. What reassurance is that? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 48, Jesus must be thinking, when will these people learn that God is not obliged to the orders of men? No matter how noble their motives seem to be, according to John 4.24, God is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth, God is looking for those who will have faith and believe in him for who he is and what he has done, not pending on what has he done for me lately. So Jesus looks lovingly at the official and in the presence of all the people, he tests the official and says loudly, unless you all see signs and wonders, you all will not believe. The word you is twice used in the plural. So we know Jesus is speaking to the official as well as the crowds who surround him. Jesus is speaking the truth. Point number two, the promise to the man. Now I wonder how the official is going to respond. Perhaps he's going to bargain with Jesus just like all of us have done at one time or another. God, can you help me get me out of this fix? And I promise next Sunday I'll be in church and I'll be in church every Sunday following that. 
Maybe he'll give him a, a nice huge love offering. The man is being tested. Jesus, he is not thinking of his rank or his entitlement. The official is not trying to manipulate Jesus. He is just a he is simply a desperate father who is thinking only of his dying son. So he cries out with all that is within him. Verse 49, sir, come down before my child dies. Note that the desperate official assumes Jesus must lay hands on his son or pray over his son or give his little boy some kind of special medicine. So his request is come down to Capernaum. Listen to how Jesus responds in verse 50. Go, your son will live. A promise is a declaration or assurance that one will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. When God promises you something, you can best believe that he will answer. His promises are yea and amen, and he is a God that does not lie. We serve a shall be God, and when God says it, it shall and it will come to pass. Point number three, the personal faith of the man. John 4.50 says, Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. He worshiped God by his actions. It's a type of unquestioning devotion. If you worship God, then you love him so much that you don't question him at all. Merriam-Webster's dictionary describes worship as an extreme form of love to honor or show reverence. This is an important statement in the context. He is not one of those who needs to see a miracle to believe. He believes Jesus' word. When Jesus says it, it is done. The proof that the man believes is in his actions. He leaves and heads for whom? Church, this is what true biblical faith looks like. We believe what our Lord has said and we act on it. We praise and worship him in advance of the manifestation. We praise him for all that he has done and for what he is currently doing and will do in the future. Praise God. We don't wait to see the anticipated result that we have requested of God. We praise and worship him anyhow. We don't wait on the results to determine whether or not we think God is trustworthy. Faith means that we take God at his word because God is God. And then we act as though every word that he has spoken is true. Regardless of what we see or do not see, we are reminded of the scripture, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The truly incredible part of this story is not only the fact that Jesus healed the boy, but he did it from 20 miles away. Do we take Jesus at his word? Do we really understand that there is no distance in prayer? That there is no distance that is difficult for the master to intervene? Do you need Jesus to be right with you in your presence? Or do you just say, Lord, if you only say a word, I know that this situation can be turned around. Just one word can make a difference. All we need is the word of God, which is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
He is a God that can do the impossible. He can make a way even when there seems to be no way. God sent his word and it is powerful. God sends his word and it heals every disease. He goes before us and he can make every crooked path straight. That is just the type of God that we serve. In conclusion, we can now draw attention to how the story ended miraculously. As the man traveled back to Capernaum, some of his servants were running to meet him to bring the good news that his son had been healed. The man realized that his son had been healed at the exact moment that Jesus had said, your son lives. Because of this miracle, the man's entire household became believers. John chose to record this particular miracle because it demonstrated that Jesus had the power to heal a dying child 20 miles away. This is the faith that all believers should practice. Although we may not see it visibly, we must trust in our faith in God. Time and distance are not obstacle for God's miraculous powers. Just like the man in this story, we must ask and move forward, believing that our prayers will be answered. When we do this, our faith is exercised and it will grow and be strengthened. We should demonstrate to others how God's blessings come through our faith in him. Trust God. Trust him even when you can't trace him. I can recall the words to the song, "'Tis so sweet." to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, thus said the Lord, Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him over and over, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. We can learn so much from the nobleman and his journey of faith. He was tenacious. He was determined, relentless, purposeful, and intentional in his pursuit. How determined are you for the things of God? Don't let distractions come your way. Don't let people stop or hinder you from receiving the promise of God. No matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult the obstacle or storms may be, take him at his word. Grab a hold of his promises until he blesses you. Praise God in the midst of circumstances, because when the praises go up, the blessings come down. We have tonight experienced the persistence of the man, the promises to the man, and the personal faith of the man. God bless you tonight.